Ephesians chapter 2, and uh, we will read beginning with verse 11. Ephesians 2, and commencing with verse 11. Uh, the Bible says there, Therefore remember that at one time you Gentiles in the flesh called the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision, which is made in the flesh by hands. Remember that you were at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. And the verse we'll be looking at now. But now, in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. And that is opened up further in verse 14 downwards, but for today we won't go that far. Let me just read it. For he himself, referring to Jesus Christ, is our peace who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two so making peace and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, therefore killing the hostility. We will end our reading there for now. Again, let's remember that uh, the series that we are going through in the book of Ephesians is under the theme the unsearch celebrating the unsearchable riches of Christ. And basically, the, the, I chose that theme because I want us to, to capture how privileged we are as Christians so that our lives may be full of, uh, of joy, genuine joy, even when we are going through the most difficult times in life or perhaps even deprived from some of the things that our friends might have, we might be deprived of them in this life. They are very temporal things, yet what we have are things that are eternal, eternal in Christ. And so this is what the whole idea is supposed to be. And remember in chapter 1, we began in eternity, where... God in Christ chose us. We went into the time when Jesus Christ died on the cross, procuring for us a free forgiveness, a, a, a declaration of righteousness through his own righteousness. And on and on and on we can go, coming all the way to our own experience, individual experience of salvation in the Lord Jesus Christ from death to life because of the mercy 
the love, the, the kindness, the grace of God. Not because of any righteous things that we have done. And, and I'm hoping that these things are, are fanning into flame a, a sense of real joy in our hearts for, for who we are because God has made us who we are in the Lord Jesus Christ. Well, as we have been making our journey in chapter 2 and verse 11, we've entered the phase in which the Apostle Paul is showing us again the unsearchable riches of Christ, but this time primarily in the way in which he has brought the church to be what it is. That we have been united from all kinds of backgrounds, all kinds of races, all kinds of uh, tribes, and I can continue multiplying all this. He has brought us all to become one in his body, to belong to one another. The church is, is not like a club that you join today and they upset you tomorrow and consequently you quit and then you join another club. What we do here is, is but a drop in an ocean. There, there is a lot of reality behind the scenes which goes all the way into eternity itself. And this is what the Apostle Paul is trying to capture here. But he's capturing it primarily as he is bringing into the picture the Jews and the Gentiles. Because between the two was a reinforced concrete wall. For, for ages, these two could never be in the same place and speak in terms of co-ownership. Absolutely impossible. And this is what we saw last time when the Apostle Paul began verse 11 saying, remember that at one time, this is the situation that was true about you. And the first aspect we see there, we saw rather, was the hostility that was already there as he spoke in terms of uh, that they were calling you the uncircumcision, those who were calling themselves the circumcision, is really referring to a, a, a sense of superiority that caused them to look down on the others. And it's true about life generally. The rich look down upon the poor, uh, the educated look down upon the uneducated, and you'll have one race that is superiorly thinking it is over another race, and consequently colonialism and everything else. You will always have that in society, in the world. That's the way life is. But again, he is saying that in Christ, which we shall be seeing today onwards, Jesus brings all these differences to nothing so that in the church we become one. 
And then there is also the reality of the spiritual segregation that was already there. And this is the way he puts it in uh, the text. But I won't read it now because we'll be coming back to it in a moment. But what I want us to notice in our text is the little phrase, but now. The little phrase, but now. That's in contrast to what he said in verse 11 when he says, therefore remember that at one time, there was once upon a time when there was this emotional segregation and spiritual segregation. But now this has completely changed. And how has it changed? It has been changed primarily through the Lord Jesus Christ. And through him, you are no longer outsiders as Gentiles. You're no longer outsiders. You are very, very much on the inside. You are, you are not visitors to, to the things of God. They are very, very much yours. And because they are yours at a horizontal level, you are sharers together in this glorious family. Now, I want to suggest to you, even as we are plunging into this part of uh, Scripture, that we, we don't often think about our salvation like this. Often, we think of salvation at a very individual level. It's because we, we get saved alone. You, you repent alone. You believe in Christ alone. And often, it's either at home or at a church service somewhere or at college or university. But wherever it is, you are doing it alone. And we tend to therefore think that it's about me going to heaven, full stop. And then also, we can add the fact that we, we, we therefore see church as a person just going to, to collect something. You go to church to, to, to hear a sermon. And once you've heard the sermon, you go home. Uh, so you tend to think the way in which we, we for instance, go to ShopRite. You, you don't go into ShopRite and then as you're entering this, uh, hello, hello, everybody, you know, hello, hello. You, you don't do that. You, in fact, they'll be thinking you're crazy if you're now greeting everybody in the shop. You, you go in there and, excuse me, excuse me, as you are collecting what you want, excuse me. And once you've collected what you want, you pay for it, you've gone. And that's the mentality that we also bring to the church. That, you know, you've gone there, you've taken your seat, you, you sing your songs, you hear prayers, you listen to a sermon, you collect, and off you go. Who else was there? It's no skin of your nose, as they say. It's none of your business. This is, I have collected what I wanted. Friends, the church is a thousand times more than that. The church is a family. The church is a body. The church has a sense of belonging 
that causes us to, to have a genuine interest in one another, which we must never undervalue. Never. It's, it's like a household. It's, it's a phrase that the Apostle Paul is going to use in this text. It's a household. Now, when, when you belong to a household, you, you, the, the situation is completely different from going to a home. Uh, when, when, when you, you arrive home, what happens? It's, it's a, a rich welcome. You, 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 you are asked, how was it during the day? Assuming you just parted for a day, if it was for a whole week, you want to, to know from one another how the week has been. There is genuine interest there. And if you have not shown up, there are actual questions that are asked. Where were you? If you've just delayed, where are you still at this time? And so on. People are interested in you. Now, when you sit down to eat and you, you simply get a half piece of Nshima, everybody is sort of wondering, what's the problem? Are you okay? You know, they're genuinely interested in you. You, you belong to that family. And if, if things are not going well with you, you're having trouble with school, you're having trouble at work, and so on, everybody feels as though it's a burden they are carrying together with you. Friends, that's church in the biblical sense. God has not only reconciled us to himself, but he's reconciled us to one another so that we, are, we genuinely belong. And this is what Paul is opening up here from verse 11 all the way to the end of this chapter. That we may grow in our appreciation of this institution that we call the church. So when he says, but now, this has changed. What is it that has brought about this change? Well, according to the Apostle Paul, it is our union with Christ. Our union with Christ. And that's the way he puts it in our text. But now, he says, in Christ Jesus. But now, in Christ Jesus. Now, that little phrase, in Christ Jesus, we come across it so many times in the Bible that we, we, we begin to, to become blind to the fact that it is there. We become blind to it. It's, it's like, you know, sometimes when people are praying and they are punctuating almost every sentence with the, uh, oh God, or my God, and, and God, and God, and others. Your, your, your ears begin to, to, to edit that, that phrase. You're no longer hearing it. It's a, it's a new person who comes in, who sort of opens one eye to sort of look at this person and say, but why is this person punctuating everything with God and God and my God and my God? Why? Oh God, oh God. Is that the way you speak? But when you, you keep hearing it all the time, your mind no longer captures it. It's like that with us 
reading our Bible. If from chapter 1 to where we are now, the Apostle Paul has used this phrase, in Christ, or in Christ Jesus, or in Jesus, so many times that we can now read it and it doesn't cross our minds that it has brought it again. Look with me, for instance, from the very beginning. Let's, let's, let's begin the, the book of Ephesians. We won't read all these verses, but I just want you to, to notice it. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, to the saints who are in Ephesus and are faithful in Christ Jesus. Already one. Verse two. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Verse three. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us in Christ. Two. With every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. Even as he chose us in him. Three before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love, he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace, with which has blessed us in the beloved. Four. Verse seven. In him, five. I mean, already by the seventh verse, he has used this five times. Because to Paul, everything that we experience as Christians has been procured for us in Christ, but much more than that, is experienced because we are in union with Christ. And even as he is now coming to this completely changed situation. But now, he tells us, in Christ Jesus, in other words, in union with Christ Jesus, we have this new status altogether. Now, what does he mean by this in Christ Jesus? Well, it's quite simple. It is the fact that we are united to Christ so that we are one with him. And therefore, when God makes promises to Christ, we also become recipients of those promises. When Christ dies on the cross and is buried and is raised to newness of life, that which he undergoes becomes ours as well because we are reckoned to be in him as he is undergoing the death, the burial, and the resurrection. And consequently, even when we are now saved, we are in him so that the life of God, the life of Christ is flowing in us. Thus, it, it makes up the whole 
of the Christian faith. The whole of Christian experience. And I've said this before, I want to encourage you. Study the topic as a topic, as a doctrine, union with Christ. Just study it. And you'll be amazed at how rich our Christian faith is. Just union with Christ. And today, it's not difficult. Just Google. That's all. You don't even need to well, go to the library and borrow a book. I almost said you don't need to. Uh, <coughs> but you can even buy a book. But apart from that, you can also Google. And you will be amazed at the richness of this. This union with Christ, although it is only one, has two important phases. The first is before we experienced it. But as far as God was concerned, it was already there. Let me say it again. Before we experienced union with Christ, before we were actually united to him in experience, in terms of God's mind, in a covenantal way, we were already in Christ. And therefore, as we saw from Ephesians chapter 1, if we can quickly go back there, and verse, uh, yeah, verse 4, verse 4, we are told there, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world. So, in the mind of God, we were already united to Christ in eternity. And therefore, he was able to say that these are my people that I am giving to you so that you can die for them. Already at that point, united to Christ. But even 2,000 years ago, when Jesus Christ was dying on the cross, again, in exactly the same way, in the mind of God, we were dying in him. We were buried in him. We were resurrected together with Christ in him. And as he ascended into heaven, seated at the right hand of God, we have ascended into heaven and we are seated on the right side of God. Look at the way he puts it in verse 7. Verse 7. In him, in other words, in union with him, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins. When he was dying on the cross, we were in him. And consequently, the benefits of that death accrue to us. Therefore, by the time we are coming to the day of our salvation, to actually experience this union, it is but a further phase. It is just another phase. Otherwise, this union with Christ in the mind of God was already there. It was already there. And so, when back to our text now, 
when the Apostle Paul says in verse 12, remember that you were at that time separated from Christ. He is speaking in terms of you were at that time not yet in the realm of experiencing this union. You were outside Christ. But in the mind of God, the elect of God were already in him in eternity and even when he was dying on the cross. But there comes the but now. But now. When in actual experience, when you've come to Christ, when you now experience his salvation, that completely changes. What is it that has changed? Back to our text. Back to our text. But now, in Christ Jesus, you who were once, sorry, you who once were far away or far off have been brought near. You who were once far off have been brought near. The Apostle Paul is obviously there speaking about those of us who are Gentiles, Gentile believers, that we were once far off, we have now been brought near. At the time the Apostle Paul was writing, a recent phenomena had been that Judaism, had spread from outside the Middle East, had spread across Asia, and had spread into Europe. And largely, it had spread because of the captivity. Remember, the Israelites were uh, captured, first of all, by the Assyrians, later on by the Babylonians, who are also called the Chaldeans, uh, later on by the Persians, and later on by the Medes, again, the Medes took over from the Persians, so it was really the same empire. Later on, they were taken over by the Greeks in um, the Greek empire. And then finally, at this time, it was the Romans in the Roman empire. So for, as they were captured by, by all these different em empires, they were spread across the known world. But wherever they went, they started what were called synagogues. Synagogues. And synagogues were places where the Jews got together to worship, where they used to meet with God. Because they, they couldn't all the time go to, to Jerusalem for worship. I mean, it was very, very far away. So they used to meet in these synagogues to worship. And when they would be meeting there, if, if any Gentiles came to, to recognize their God as the true God of the universe, these Gentiles used to, to associate with them. But in associating with them, they, they always were on the outside. They, they, they would never be allowed to be on the inside. They, they, even in the temple, they had what was called an outer court. And the outer court is where the Gentiles used to come and, and meet with, with God. But they were always considered to be the outsiders 
who are simply visiting. It's, it's like if I could uh, get a picture of uh, uh, many years ago when households would comprise the parents, the children, and the slaves. When food was served, there was the actual table where the family would gather to eat. And then far away would be where the table was where the slaves would eat. So there was, they were eating, but there was this discrepancy. There, there was this very clear separation between the two. And so in the book of, in, in, uh, the book of Acts, for instance, the, the Gentiles who had joined the, um, the synagogues used to be referred to as worshippers of God. Worshippers of God. Let me just show you two examples. One is uh, Lydia, and then there is another um, who is a male. But let's begin with uh, Lydia in Acts 16. Acts 16. And verse 14. Acts 16 and verse 14. The Bible reads there, one, oh sorry, I'm still hearing a few pages. Let me wait. No embarrassment. Acts 16 and verse 14. Okay? There we are. Uh, the, the Apostle Paul has arrived in Philippi. And uh, they uh, have looked for a place of worship, and they have gone outside the city and found a place uh, where the people were gathered to pray. And then he says, um, or maybe begin from verse 13, And on the Sabbath day, we went outside the gate to the riverside, where we supposed there was a place of prayer. And we sat down and spoke to the women who had come together. One who heard us was a woman named Lydia from the city of Theatira, a seller of paper goods, and here's the phrase, who was a worshiper of God. Now that little phrase, who was a worshiper of God, is not simply saying who worshipped God. It's referring that who was a Gentile who associated with the Jewish people in their worship. Of God. So the emphasis is was a Gentile who had then converted to Judaism and consequently was sharing with them in their worship. Another one is chapter 18, chapter 18 and verse 7. Chapter 18 and verse 7. It says there, chapter 18 and verse 7, And he left there and went to the house of a man named Titius Justus. And again here it was, a worshiper of God. And then it says his house was next door to the synagogue. So again, that's the point. It means this person was not a Jew, he was a Gentile. But he was a Gentile who used to attend the synagogue. That's where he used to worship. 
He had come to believe in the God of the Jews. However, because he was a Gentile, he could not be around the inner circle where the Jews alone used to meet, where they could even share in the food that was there in the synagogue as part of either the Passover or whatever it was that they were going through. The Gentiles were not allowed to be part of it. They were kept in the distance. They were kept far away. And so this is what Paul is capturing here when he is saying, you who once were far off. This is not referring to, you know, you, you, you used to be in, 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 in Kabwe and now you've been brought near to Lusaka. No, no, no. He's saying, with respect to the times of worship, you were kept separate. You were kept at a distance. You could not participate with everybody in the inner circle of the worship of God. Well, what the Apostle Paul is saying here is that that has now changed. It's changed. Now, from the outer court in the temple, you could actually now be on the inside. Or if you could use the example of a slave, you have now been upgraded to the actual table where the master and the mistress and their children are actually eating. You've been brought near. You've been brought to participate in the very life as a co-owner, as a member of the household, as a family member. That is what has now happened to you. If we can go to verse 12 in a moment, back to our text, verse 12, I want us to see again what was the composition of far away. What, 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 what was it? We, we saw it when we last looked at this text. What was it? Verse 12, remember that you were at that time separate from Christ alienated from the commonwealth or citizenship of Israel. You were strangers or aliens to the covenants of promise. In other words, you, you, you were not partakers of all these things. And then the consequence of that, as we saw last time, it was this, having no hope, and without God in the world. That's the state in which you were. As you were far off, far away. But now you have been brought near. As we shall soon be saying. This has now completely changed. From an experiential separation from Christ, you now have an experiential union with Christ. You are now united to him. Number two, you are no longer alienated from citizenship of Israel. You are now within the same family. 
You were previously strangers to the covenants of promise. Now those promises are yours. They're yours. You are an actual heir to the promises of God. All the promises that God has ever made are now yours. 100%. And then finally, previously, you were without hope and without God. Now you've been brought near. You are with hope. Now you are with God. That's what has completely changed. Now, friends, if that doesn't make you celebrate, I don't know what will. I don't know what will. Just imagine if uh, you were just a garden boy. Just a garden boy. For, um, for Bill Gates. Hmm? Just a garden boy. Your, your salary was the son's or the daughter's uh, change, not even pocket money, change. That was your salary. And then one day you were now told that here is a piece of paper that shows he has actually adopted you as his own child. At meal times, you actually now come into the house and you sit at table together to eat food there that the other servants have prepared. Just imagine the change that that would make to you. But to also be told that when he dies, just don't start wishing that he dies early. But when he dies, you will have an equal portion of his wealth together with his, his child. If he has any other adopted children, together with other adopted children, that you will share in that. That it's, it's done. There's no changing of mind. It's, 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 it's finalized. It's It's yours. Now, when they're telling you all that on the outside, you're sort of thinking, <laughs> guys, come on, you know, don't, don't, don't make such jokes. You know, life must be serious. Until the very first day, when now you're being called, at Nimwetule It's real. It's real. And as you are about to enter the house, you start taking off your shoes. Ah, ah! Just come in. You are, you're part of the household. Why, why are you even taking off your shoes? Come in, come in. You arrive at the table there. You're trying to get the chair which is furthest. Because you're still feeling like an outsider. And he says to you, no, no, come, come, sit, sit here, sit here. You start waiting for everybody to start eating. What are you waiting for? Eating! You're part of the household. The whole thing is, is rather hard for you to process. Isn't it? It's hard. Until the day is over. Then you go to meet your friends. <laughs> you see, the whole thing now has changed. You know what? 
and so on. A lot of excitement. There's even a bit of cushioning in the way you're, you're now walking, and so on. Everything has changed. There's excitement. There's joy. This is what has happened to me. Yes, even me, I can't believe it. This is what has happened. Friends, that's the point Paul is making here. He's saying, it's changed. There was once upon a time, this is the way it was. But now you've been brought near. Now you've, you've actually been brought into the family. Now you are in the household of God. Later on, the Apostle Paul puts it this way. In uh, chapter 2 and uh, verse 19. Chapter 2 and verse 19. He says, So then, you are no longer strangers and aliens. You are fellow citizens with the saints. And you are members of of the household of God. That's the point he's making here when he says you've been brought near. I mean, it, it, it blows one's mind to think, for instance, that those thousands upon thousands, 10,000 times 10,000 angels are now your servants. They're now there to save you. They see you as a child of God. Not simply a servant of God. Yes, you are, but you, you are a child of God. You are, you are now part of this family you, that on earth we refer to as the church, the church of Jesus Christ. But you are now on the inside. You've been brought near. Very quickly, how? How? We will be seeing a lot more of this in uh, the next few weeks. But he opens it up by simply saying, by the blood of Christ. By the blood of Christ. The change has happened not because of something you have done. No. It is because of something God has done. Because he is a merciful God. He is a loving God. He is a gracious God. He's not like a master who is seeing that this, this slave is working so hard, let me promote him and therefore make him my child. This is God looking at a rebel a rebel that has sinned against God times without number. And seeing all that, he is now saying, I am going to pay the price that has alienated him from me. And the price is going to be my own son. My own son. And therefore, he takes his son, Jesus Christ, nails him to the cross. He dies our death. 
in our place. And so when you read through the blood of Christ, it's not like someone took a syringe and put it into Jesus' veins to draw out blood and then poured it somewhere. No, no, no. It's a synonym of his death. You can easily replace this by saying, by the death of Christ, and you are correct. Very correct. That's how we have been brought in. All I want to do today, because this will be opened up as we go into the next few verses, but all I want us to do today is drink it in, in terms of how much God loves us. How much he loves us. That he should sacrifice his own son to bring us in. You know, to go out there and still believing for myself, selfishly, or we're still even living in sin against such a God is atrocious in the light of this. It's atrocious. That it has cost God so much. He's paid the best of heaven, the best of heaven, to bring us in. And you should still want to live for yourself and for your own sin. It's unthinkable. You should be filled with such a sense of gratitude that you're not only willing to live for him or to save him, you're willing to sacrifice for him, willing to die for him in the light of this privilege that he has given you to be brought into his own family at such a price by the blood of his own son. Well, friends, let me hurry on to close by putting it this way. First of all, we've seen where we are all coming from because all of us in here are Gentiles. We've seen that once upon a time, 2,000 years ago plus, even if we had come to the conclusion that the God of the Jews was the true God and ours were mere idols and consequently we decided to identify ourselves with this God, we're going to be outsiders. That's all. We're going to be outsiders. Yes, they would call us worshippers of God, but we definitely would have no right to those promises that belonged to the people of Israel. That's where we've come from. But now, all that has changed. When we come to genuine repentance and faith, because we are in Christ, we are united to Christ. There are these benefits that are now ours. We belong to God. We belong to the people of God. We are not strangers. We're not outsiders. We are 
fellow citizens of God's household. We belong. We belong. May that help us as we now begin to process the implications with respect to the localized entity that we refer to as the local church. Remember, it's simply a localized entity of the universal body, of this universal church, of this universal family of God to which we belong. As we now identify with this miniature part of it, may it transform the way we think and the way we behave the way in which we relate. That the people of God are actually our family. That I belong to them. They belong to me. I have privileges in belonging to them. I also have responsibilities as I belong to them. I cannot relate to the church the way I relate to a club. I cannot relate to the church the way in which I relate to the post office or to ShopRite. I can't. This is my family. I belong. It's a glorious privilege, but it comes with responsibility. Because I am united to Christ I am united to Christ's people. That's what makes it important. And therefore, I should be as a person who is responsible while I am rejoicing. Responsible while I am rejoicing. But let me also put it this way, and with that I must close. The world can be a very lonely place. Very lonely. And even people who become very, very famous and we admire them, actually, they are the most lonely. Very lonely. Because up there, they've got very few people that they can genuinely relate to as close friends as family. Individuals go to clubs and they go to bars. They drink their heads off. They go for parties and so forth. But they soon realize that the people around me simply want things from me. That's all. They want things from me. There's no real sense of belonging. And most of them, the most they can do is remember their childhood days when they genuinely belonged, when they were in a real family environment, when they had brother here and sister here that they had a real sense of belonging with. But it's gone. And loneliness is one cause of so much depression and misery. But it's not just loneliness. It is also in terms of hostility that surrounds them. Hostility. 
you're in the workplace, you're not just lonely, but you're among people who want your job. And if they don't want your job, at least they don't want you promoted. And therefore, they will do everything to gossip about you and slander you and, and everything else and, and just to make your life impossible. That's the world we are in. That's the real world. Lonely, hating one another and also being hated by others. What a privilege we have that in this same world God has given us the church. The church. A place where you can give your back to your friends and you know that they, they won't be a, the bang of a pistol with your brains being knocked out. A place where, rightly so, we call each other brother and sister. That's what we are. Brother and sister. A place where you can go anywhere in the world Go off to England, Cambodia, Perth, in Australia, wherever. Once you find that body, you found family. It's incredible. Incredible. You, you go right into Peru in South America there, and immediately you, you, you connect. Family. I mean, the glorious things that he has done. And they're immediately concerned about you. Are you warm enough? Is it too cold? Do you have shoes, feet on your feet? Have you got clothes? They're already interested in your well-being. Are you not missing family where you've come from? Come over for dinner and so on. Genuine interest. Why? It's because of this great thing that God has done in making us one in union with Christ. Who were far off? We've now been brought near in him. What a privilege. What a privilege. But you see, you could be here today, and for you, it's not yet a privilege. It's not. You come to Kabata Baptist Church, and you come like someone going to ShopRite or to post office. You, 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 th these are strangers to you, these people here. You, you can't relate as brother and sister. You can't. You come in, you sing your songs, you hear your sermons preached, and as soon as we say our amen, through the gate, because you are among strangers. The issue is primarily to connect with Christ first. To experience being in Christ. In union with Christ. That's the answer. It is to begin by coming to Christ. So that he can bring you into his family by the work of his spirit. That's what the spirit of God does. 
He, he baptizes us into Christ. He immerses us into the body of Christ. And consequently, once we are immersed in him, our eyes suddenly open and we find these are my people. Suddenly, we have a huge family that we can relate to. And they become the dearest people to us. That's my plea as I close. It is that you might go to Christ and you will have this turnaround, this change. First of all, that is going to be between you and God to borrow the words of a hymn writer so near, so very near to God, I cannot nearer be. For in the person of his son, I am as near as he. That's the truth. That's true about us as believers. Because we are in Christ, we can never be any nearer to God. We are as near as he. So very near. But that will translate now into actual relationships. That these people in these pews that you meet with so often, that they will also be near and dear to you. Come to Christ. Amen.